Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The second time it's gone off. Never got home. They never got home. They never got home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. So you can laugh. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you shiny man? <laughs> all right, this is how it is. The next 18 months of international football will all be decided this Sunday. We beat Poland, we're going to the Euros in second spot. We lose, we're gone. That's the sort of pressure I'm willing to put the Republic of Ireland team under. We were talking in our first show today about the expectations around the rugby team at the World Cup and whether or not they should just embrace them. I feel I, I am going to uh, I'm going to embrace Ireland's favouritism for this game against Poland. Kent, I haven't looked at the odds, but I'm going to say they're favourites. They're going to live up to that. They're going to beat Poland. And they're going to go all the way. And if they win, don't, they're going to win. And, the if, and if they don't, international football is going to be so grim for the next year if we lose this game. Look, what do you mean by that word grim? Sad. We're worse than that. More uh, just games being played and no one caring about the result of Just, Just a drag, you know? You know yeah, when something... Just a drag. It's just it's happening. It has to go on. You have to watch it. But you're a little bit... Uh. Well, maybe that's the case for you guys. But I suppose that's the difference between fair-weather football men and football men of ah. the old school. You were gathering in pubs in the late 70s to watch some of the great games over in Seville and Brussels and Sofia again. Seville, I watched, the, I watched the game in Seville. I wasn't in the pub. I was in my bunk bed at the time. Uh, John Aldridge, didn't he score an offside oh, goal? Oh, we're talking about 90... Uh, 90 89? Uh, yeah. Maybe. Look, you know, some of us are in this for the long haul. Now, I know that there's a certain type of Ireland sportsman, sporting... sporting uh, I don't want to say fan owned, but okay, fan. Yep. Who is uh, who is attracted by cheap and easy success? You know, the flash of silver, um, the fluttering of green and white ribbons, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then there's another kind of a, a more soulful type of Irish uh, sportsman, which is the Irish football man, who <laughs> actively embraces. Uh, the sort of whatever Failure. you meant by that word grim, right? It's uh, you say grim, I say bracing. <laughs> uh, a, a it's car- life, a, you know. Yeah. You know, rugby and you know Gaelic games and everything. It takes you out of 
your life, your ordinary mundane life. Sure. The Irish soccer team is life. Yeah. I mean, you, you can you can all indulge yourself in this pure fantasy of, of being, a, you know, a, a world conquering, you know, like so the Irish rugby team was a sort of a representation of your place in the world. Well, actually, the Irish football team is much closer to what's really going on. And uh, it's, it's a lot more real. You know, there's a lot more, you know, with the Irish rugby team, it's, all, it's gold, silver, you know, flashing lights. Real you know, football. Real all that kind of stuff. Kid. But the, with the football team, there's just a lot more shades, you know? And there's some grey shades in there as well. You know, there's, it's not all light. There's also darkness. And... I think we might be plunged into darkness by Poland on Sunday. I'm a little bit worried about what Poland are going to do to us. That John Aldridge goal, offside goal, was in a qualifier for 94. So that was around 1993 that game was played. Was it a qualifier yeah, for 94? Yeah, because I remember being on the the road. I never owned the road to Italia 90. I think there was a video. I did, I own, the, I did, I I did own the road to USA 94. And I distinctly remember the goal being decided because I remember the clip afterwards. He's speaking in hilarious Scouse accent, fluent Spanish, yeah. and giving out about why his goal was disallowed. Okay, okay, yeah. Maybe the one I'm thinking of then is a nil-nil in Seville, the one on the way to the World Cup, Cup in 1990. Yeah. Um, look, on, you know, there's, there's just been so many great Irish football nights that sometimes... And there may be one on Sunday. Time for Kennedy's Report on Sport. I mean, I have... <laughs> I have this my cue. I have watched a few Ireland Poland games recently on. I don't just mean the ones that I've been to. Uh, the 3-2, of course. Keith Andrews' debut. Stephen Hunt scoring from penalty spot. 3-2 to Poland, it was. I remember a whole section of Croke Park bouncing up and down as the Polish fans celebrated uh, their mastery of turf. Uh, the 2-0, of course, the Aviva Stadium. Uh, Kieran Clark and uh, Wes Hulhan. Wes Hulhan with a nice goal. Uh, Jeff Hendrick. Was it Jeff Hendrick's debut that night? I think it was. Um, chipped chipped in a beautiful pass to Hulhan, who scored a volley. Kieran Clark scored in the first half. Uh, Lewandowski uh, running through on goal and being denied in, uh, in one-on-ones. Um, and then, of course, the nil-nil. Who could forget the nil-nil in Poznan? Uh, in uh, November 2013, when uh, Martin, Martin O'Neill's second game in charge, uh, when yeah, we, we grounded out on, mm. back at the scene of uh, our games against Croatia and Italy in Euro 2012, the graveyard of Irish that was, football That was dreams. a particularly bracing uh, football game, as I recall. The Poland. Yeah. Yeah, it was cold enough. It well. was... Uh, it was an Arctic wind of bracing, as I recall. Poznan is, is not a bad place, you know. I mean... It's I know there's this, yeah. this, 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 uh, there's this sense I think people people have who haven't been to Poland that it's kind of a grim country. You know, it's got like this probably still got a kind of hangover in terms of its image from its the communist days. I mean, I was listening to Eamon Dunphy just the other day. I think he did an, he did an interview. I think it was actually with Balls that I'm not sure. I heard a clip anyway mm-hmm. where he was talking about uh, the trips to Poland back in the day. You know, talking about the Obviously, the FBI used to go there a lot, the, the, the oh, Irish yeah, team. Yeah. And he writes about this in his book, um, about uh, the, the reasons being essentially that the, a lot of the, um, the FBI uh, directors and so on uh, likes going to these, like going behind the Iron Curtain uh, because the hard currency that they brought with them uh, it meant that they could live like kings, um, you know, uh, for a few days. Yeah. Um, uh, and the terrible things that used to go on, but he talked a bit. He, he talked a bit about the grimness of the country, you know, the awful food, the kind of 
the dreariness of the cities, the the kind of deadened look in the eyes of all the people. You know what I mean? Poland is not like that anymore. I don't know what it was like in the 70s. I was never there in the 1970s. Poland is actually a pretty nice place these days. Oh, yeah. No, it really is. Tell you that. Uh, Poznan, Krakow, Gdansk, great great towns. Zabat. Zabat, of course. Uh, Did you say Zabat? I thought I, th- I did. Yeah, I did, did actually. I, oh, yeah, I, I, sorry. No, I, thought, I thought I'd gotten the pronunciations wrong. No, uh, no, no. no was, sorry. I thought you were pulling the George Hampton there, but you actually just missed. I was it. actually using the German pronunciation of it. Now, oh, that's... God. What a slip-up. Oh. No, I mean, that's, that's not good, is it? No, it's just... It, it, that's, that's, it used to be spelled Z-O-P-P-O-T. Mm. Not anymore, of course. Uh, spelling aside... And pronunciations we, aside. It's Gdansk, not Danzig as well. Yeah, yeah I know. I, know. So, I wouldn't so say you know. Danzig, right? The, I didn't say that. The, you mentioned Poznan as the place where our European dreams died, but actually it was a place where, more more specifically, more pertinently for this weekend, it was a place where Polish-Irish relations reached new heights. Yeah. And uh, it seems like, funnily enough, when we were playing Scotland, there was a bit of a negative tone in the air right through that week because there was a little bit of concern as mentioned by the FI's chief executive, amongst others, uh, that there might be some uh, bit of a nasty atmosphere surrounding the returning Scots who are playing on the Republic of Ireland team. In this case, it's all positive. Everyone, a lot of Poles living here, a lot of them will be at the game, bring an unbelievable atmosphere to things. Oh, yeah. And they seem to love us when we went over it, over there. Oh, yeah. Um, although I do, I remember that Poznan game, I was, uh, I was actually moved Owen, by the fact that the Polish fans applauded the Irish national anthem. That's not the kind of thing that would usually, you know, mm. we don't usually pay much attention. But on that occasion, I thought, well, that's lovely, isn't it? They really, and honestly, they did seem to, you know, remember our visit fondly. It was only quite recently that I found out they started doing that for all the anthems. Oh, really? <laughs> they just yeah. do it for everyone, yeah, so it wouldn't right. mean anything at all. It's just a Polish gesture of politeness. Yeah. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't care about it. They, They're they, just incredibly like nice they, they applauded the the German anthem, you know, when they played the qualifier against <laughs> Germany, you know that, and, and that actually was a, a sort of a, it was that was a bit of a Croke Park, you know, God save yeah. the Queen type uh, moment, but yeah, it, it wasn't a big deal. But no, I'm a bit worried about the Poland team, Go on. because they're very good. I mean, the team itself is not is not that great. I mean, the team from you know in the sort of through through the midfield and defence although the goalkeepers I mean I think they've got three goalkeepers who might arguably be our number one goalkeeper um, but you know in terms of defence and midfield much of a muchness the problem is when you get into the strikers and this is where you start to think this is really unfair Lewandowski there's obviously Robert Lewandowski who's a centre forward for Bayern Munich who might be the best you know, probably the, the best club team in Europe at the moment one of the most complete centre forwards in the game you know, he's got incredible, uh, you know, physique, speed, power, all these kinds of things, but also is really skillful and plays the game uh, brilliantly as, as a team, as, as, a, as a team player. He's not like a kind of a, you know, even his own teammates don't know what he's going to do. He's, he combines brilliantly with other players. They also, I mean, as, the, as though this isn't enough, now have Arkady, Arkadiusz Milik as well, a centre forward from Ajax, uh, who is physically almost the carbon copy of Lewandowski. I mean, he's left-footed, but he's, a, again, he's like six foot one, nearly 6'2", um, uh, really quick, really strong, ruthless, unsmiling oh, assassin. No, I hate unsmiling strikers because they're he serious about the He does not business. smile. He scores and then he turns away with his arm raised and a and a, just a, a sort of, um, you know, just an, an expressionless face. Like, mm. yeah, 
Like I'm going to do it. Again. I, so yeah, what? and I will do even it again Drago. Even even Drago, basically. Yeah. You know, he he's got that kind of look. Although even Drago was toppled. He, eventually, but I mean, you know, he inflicted a lot of damage. You know, what about his, the reign of terror that he inflicted? Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, and this so guy's paid the ultimate price. This guy's on the way up. I mean, I mean, you know, he scored in five out of his last six internationals. I mean, you look at what we've got by comparison. Uh, uh, UEFA's fourth highest goal scorer in history. Yeah, it is almost the kind of a, a rocky uh, Balboa type situation at this at this stage with Robbie Keane. You know, if, I mean, he, if he can if he can come out on top again, it did, literally will. And be. remember, it was an American that took Ivan Drago down, and Robbie's. Basically, did you see the latest clip, the, the weekly clip of Robbie Keane scoring an amazing goal that came out at the weekend? I don't know if you, if you caught it. He dribbled, uh, he dribbled from the halfway line <laughs> without one person getting within five yards of him. It was partly cl- down to his own close. There's no doubt Robbie Keane has good close control. Mm. Uh, there is a doubt as to how much pace he has and how much ability he has to go by guys, but it helps when the, 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 the defense just move inside. Watch as Robbie Keane runs from halfway line to score a goal. I was like, wow, well, geez, I'm clicking on this. I'm clicking on this twice. And then you watch it, it's just Robbie Keane very... You see a guy able to play football. Yeah. running towards the goal line with no one tackling him. And then one guy comes to him and he kind of beats him and then they finish with a bit of a scruffy one. But, mm. I mean, you know, I clicked, so... Yeah. Internet won Murph nil there. Yeah. No, it's... I mean, we all we all win. It's a... I mean, who's, who's paying? You, you got to see the goal um, and somebody they got, got paid. Yeah, but somebody got your eyeballs, as they tend to say in the... Mm. The marketing yeah. gamer, if they got the, yeah. your eyeballs, eyeballs were on that were clip. up for sale there, all right. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe, you know, but, but it's, my point is that uh, while Poland have got this, you know, uh, for, you know, obviously a world-class front-ranked player in the form of Lewandowski, and then what looks to be another potential world-class striker, we do not have anything that can compare to that. I mean, that's, I think in a tight game like this, where you've got two teams quite well-matched, um, unlikely to be too many chances that's what makes the difference Poland were loose enough if I remember the Germany game correctly which they won 2-0 they did give away about 14 uh, somewhere between 12 and 14 really good chances it was a bizarre game it was very different even from the Ireland-Germany game in which we, obviously we were dominated for the first 70 minutes but we weren't giving up too many guilt-edged opportunities Poland really did and in fairness to them they, I guess it encapsulates what you're saying they got their break and then were able to score two really good goals. Yeah. Which they will do to us. Millet Millet was careful. scoring one of those goals. Yeah, I mean, hard. it's just, uh, I am a little bit worried. And you I sound downbeat about this game, a better chances. Well, I think it's it's going to be big. You know, it's it's like, a, it's a really significant game. I mean, there was, Roy Keane did the media the other day and it was it was interesting that he was even doing it in a sense because of the, the last time that he had spoken to the Irish media was uh, that, that, that one out in Malahide where... He got angry. Remember, yeah. he was he was annoyed about his book. And someone suggested maybe the book was a distraction. The word distraction was the trigger that set off the. Um, but he was back to it, you know. And okay, he was. Uh, it, it, this was a lot calmer. There wasn't any loss of temper or even any flare-ups. And in fact, it was quite a, a dull, normal type of. But press it wasn't comment. even in the press room. I saw him at piece on this. It was in the what what's described as a mixed zone. Which apparently is no such thing, really, in uh, Lands End Road in the Aviva Stadium. Yeah. When there's a perfectly good press conference room twenty yards away, yeah. So maybe Keane wanted to keep it as uh, as dull and uneventful as possible. But yeah. I know people do get a little bit bored with quite how much uh, I, in particular, end up talking about Roy Keane press conferences. So, uh, what sort of well, dynamite have you got from there? Well, look, there isn't, there isn't much. There's never that this kind of build up to a game like this is really. It's a long week. It's very. It's 
it's quite boring. It's yeah. a long week as well. You know, the game's on a Sunday night, 7.45. Mm. You've got a lot of waiting around before then. I mean, you know, there's, there's probably interesting stuff going on, but the media <laughs> only has access to the boring bits. You know what I mean? You don't get to... You don't you don't get to see the the important parts of the training. I mean, this is all done in secret. You don't get to see what Martin O'Neill's really thinking of. You're kind of dribbled out piece of information about you know X is injured, Y is injured. You know, it's and without a game, without actually something having happened that everybody's got to see, <laughs> sometimes it's a little <laughs> difficult to know uh, where to begin. Uh, but I do think that this is a huge moment for this team because it's like. Okay, is this is it? Are we going? Are we going, actually going anywhere this time? Because this is this is. The, I mean, we're this is. We'll be halfway through the group after this game. Halfway through the games, um, we'll have played everybody, and if we haven't managed to beat Poland at home, I think we can say we're not going to qualify. That, that the John O'Shea moment against Germany suddenly starts seeming like it was a long time ago. Yeah, and a pretty irrelevant footnote to <laughs> uh, uh, an uninspired two years of international football, as opposed to potentially genre-defining brilliant deadly moments that we can all remember. Yeah, so that's this is where it all comes down to it. So, so um, yeah, I mean, Roy Keane said, I'm, I'm wary of that must-win stuff. Your attitude before you go into any game of football, I don't care what part of the season it is, is you want to win the game. Nobody ever goes in saying they want to draw. Afterwards, you might think, listen, a draw wasn't that bad. So we can't afford to lose it, but our mindset is, trust me, the manager's attitude is we're going to try and win every game of football. Of course, that's in our DNA. Um Oftentimes you'd think a draw is fine. This is not one of those times. This is one of those times when you have to win. I mean, Keane, when he played, was always... It was a bit different with him. You know, he... I, mean, I was watching on some past Ireland-Poland games. Really? I, I mentioned this, not just the uh, recent friendlies and so on, but I actually looked at the Ireland-Poland games from 1991. You really are a football man. Yeah. And 1977. Was 90, 91 was the 3-1? 1964. 1964? Yeah, it turned out it was my dad's first time at a football match. Really? I said this to him, yeah, and he said, yeah, that was the first time I went to a football match. He went to Daly Man Park. He said his his memory, his main memory of it is being lifted off his feet by the crowd and sort of, you know... Dangerously, yeah, yeah. In what was then like an incredibly <laughs> dangerous situation, which everyone thought at the time was just good, clean fun. <laughs> um there are remarks that, you know, from the commentators in some of these games about how we, we might have to stop the game to get some of these young people off the roof, uh, just for their own safety, of course. You know, uh, the roof was kind of functioned as a separate stand, uh, another stand uh, for some of those games. A, two, a two-tier stadium in Ireland in 1964 was basically the roof of the, <laughs> roof the of one-tier stadium. Yeah. But they... Crow Park, exactly the same, by the way. We had a, escape. Mark Lawrence made his debut against Poland, of course. Not in 1964. In 1977? Yes. Uh, he's never been in Ireland until today. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently so. Had never actually come to Ireland until the day he... Well, yesterday, I suppose, was the day he came in on the plane or whatever, and now, now he's in the plane. And uh, Mick McCarthy, too. Mm. Um, debut. Debut against Poland, I think, in a nil-nil in the mid-'80s. <laughs> so, yeah. Not a lot of these games have been very good. Uh, I have to say, looking back at it, particularly the 1991 3-all. Yeah, that was a great game. We were 3-1 up. Mm. Threw it away. We really weren't that good. No? No. The, uh, John he, Byrne banging in the goals up front. Andy Townsend John scored. John Byrne? Did he not score in that game? No. Andy Townsend scored. Uh, Tony Cascarino scored the third. And the first was Paul McGrath. Oh. Header, header by Paul McGrath from cross by Sheedy. Andy Townsend then scored a dubiously offside goal. 
uh, Roy Keane playing him through and Townsend running through and rounding the keeper and scoring. Then it was given offside. Then he scored a goal in the second half and then Cascarino scored again. So we were 3-1 up. And then, not, not Pat Bonner's greatest day in the uh, Ireland shirt, it suddenly was 3-3. Everyone was quite surprised by that. <laughs> but we weren't, it wasn't like uh, we were ever really in control of that. Well, we were in control in a negative way. Like, uh, you, you're looking back, you're thinking, okay, you can see the problem with the Jack Charlton team, in a sense. You know, the, the kind of the sheer negativity of a lot of, what, of the decisions that the players are making. And there was, there, there was control in a negative sense, as in Poland are not providing any threat at all. Like, their goals were just these almost random balls into the box, which suddenly flew into the net, you know, from as Pat, Pat, Bonner, Pat Bonner kind of going the wrong way. Um, but... It wasn't like we we had the ball and you know had been pinned back you know in the kind of way you might talk about a team controlling a game. No, but it we, wasn't nev- like that. we never did though. We did in the nil nil against Poland. This was the other one, the the one at home. Uh, that's it's amazing that game was nil nil. It was just chance after chance what after year, chance. Sorry, when is 1991. It's the Euro ninety two. Oh, that qualifiers. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that that game, you actually you saw that we could get a grip. We could sometimes get a grip of the game. It's a miracle that Poland didn't lose that game. Uh, but sometimes this sort of thing happens, I suppose. Um, you could see the you know the kind of quality of players that we that we have. I mean, you, you kind of forget sometimes. Andy Townsend was a pretty good player. Paul McGrath as a midfielder, you know. I mean, just I think looking back now, you can kind of it's it's quite it's kind of more clear to me. I mean, what is it, eleven or twelve? Watching these at the time now, the sheer athleticism that Paul McGrath had as a midfielder, I can see why Jack Charlton played him in midfield. I mean, he was comp- he was so dominant over. Anyone in any any kind of physical mm. um, any any situation where guys within arms uh, uh, reach of Paul McGrath, he's just going to push that away, you know. Um, yeah, watching these games on, I kind of felt well. Yeah, we don't really have anyone who's capable of doing no, that. And this James is... McCarthy's a highly rated player, but I've never seen him just crush it. No, opponent. well, uh, yeah, I want to talk a bit about James McCarthy today. Uh, Richie's going to be in in a little while, but this is the point. You talk about how dominant the Polish strikers are, and it's not as I don't know how well equipped we are to actually deal with that from a defence point of view. Not very well, judging by your grimace. Well, I mean, you never know. I mean, if it, it's defending as a team job, really, it's about it's about working as a back four, not being exposed at the back. I yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully you don't make mistakes. But I mean, our, our team, I think they they function pretty well. Certainly in Germany, okay, there was a few wobbles early in the game, but they got it together well in that game. Uh, for a lot of the Scotland game, you know, they they hung together quite well. It wasn't as though Scotland missed loads of chances. So they've been good at that. I just worry about the quality of these players. I mean, these are guys who can score from anywhere within 25 yards of the goal, both of them. And, uh, you know, they're both, they're, they're physically, I think, stronger than our defenders are. I mean, they're, they're a little bit younger, uh, I guess, than the guys who are likely to be out there, but strong and quick and just... The kind of players who can individually, I think, uh, create chances to score. Uh, so, That's uh, the end of Ken Early's yeah. report on sport. That's one of those things. Stop it! How many players can do this? Death man can never die. He's Thirty-four years old. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? 
questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh yeah. He's got more of a tan than me. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? You well? You seem you, you seem all right. Are you okay? I am okay. But after the news. The news. Your hero, Henry Sheffin, retired. He did. He's, he's gone. He did. I suspected he would. It wasn't a surprise. But I thought you might cancel the, this interview. This, yeah, uh, just this not did... up to it today. Sorry, lads. Now you know why I didn't make the show last yeah. night. <laughs> uh, Richie has talked talked big about Sheffin in the past. Actually, Murph, we were talking about this before uh, mm. before we came on here. And the, one of the TV shows we did last year, Henry Sheffin was there. Richie Sadler was there. Uh, and Richie was, was starstruck, the word? Uh, well, yeah, just grabbing selfies with him the whole time. It was... We bonded, lads. Yeah. And he, he, he was asking me a lot about my career. He was really interested. <laughs> he, 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 he figured it was an opportunity to learn. And he just... It was question after question I wish him well what do you like what do you like about Shevin was there one game you went and saw him and just decided this guy's absolutely amazing or is it just that general excellence that he's had in sport over the last number of years we're not looking for details here analysis yeah the general yeah. excellence um, but I remember or, or his personality in, I, I remember I mean well we, we've so much history now personal history <laughs> that I, I could talk at length about the personality issue but I remember wasn't it the first Galway game I remember being in here afterwards talking oh, yeah. about that and I remember being 2012, yeah. totally transfixed by him in the second half. Yeah, I, I just couldn't take my eyes off him. And he was just going around, kind of beating his chest, and and this is, this is phenomenal. Now I don't know really anything about hurling. No, but you don't need it. That's the point. I, he, I, he actually pinpointed that game. Did he? He was asked at the press conference yesterday, "What game do you think? What what performance were you most satisfied with, or the one that you look back on?" And uh, he said the second half of the drawn or the. Yeah, this, the the drawn final in 2012 against Galway. And to be honest, if, if I had to pick one, that would have been the game as well. Yeah. Uh, like, he was just insane. It was the, it, like you say, it was the demeanour of him exactly. that day. And, and, he, to... and he started pouring. I think he missed a couple of frees, comes out in the second half, and as soon as he came out, just the way he carried himself, you're thinking, this guy's going to win the game for his team. There's no, there's no nobody's going to... Yeah, and yeah, you don't have to know anything about her. Well, hang on, they, they drew in the end, so he yeah. didn't actually well, win the yeah. game for his well, won in the end, didn't they? Exactly, yeah. so that was the first half. Hmm. It was a kind of Lord of the Rings type uh, display from Henry Shefflin. But I wonder, Richie, if you think any of the Ireland footballers can step up in a similar way this Sunday against Poland. Do you have any in mind? <laughs> uh, well, for instance, Roy Keane says, I mean, Roy, everyone was saying, oh, Roy, uh, we miss you in the, in the team. And Keane said, well, I can't tackle anyone, can I? Uh, on Sunday, and everyone said no. Regrettably, not. But he said we uh, we need a couple of others to step up. We need maybe whether it be a Robbie Brady free or Robbie Keane. We keep saying we rely on Robbie to score goals, but it's time for others to step up. Can anyone in fact do that? Yeah, I think he was making the point which we've made several times over the years that Robbie is the only go-to player for goals. It would be a good time for someone else to step up. As to who that is, I don't really know because we've been watching them all for quite a while now and none of them have taken the opportunity just yet. Well, I'm thinking, th- think of that Shefflin performance. What was it about it that made it that made everybody kind of sit up in their chair and go, well, It was the fact that it was a, it's a team game, but what, there was one guy out there who looked like he was operating on a different level and lo- looked like he was... I was going to say bending the wheel, yeah. but that, yeah. that, that's, what, that's the phrase that's always used. But that, that is what it looked like. It looked like he, which is... What, what it actually was was just ridiculous self-belief. The, the, I'm just not going to get beaten today, and you can come with me or not, but you know the, we're not getting beaten today. And I, I think that, that that's that's something that had nothing to do with hurling, actually. Yeah. It, and it had a lot to do with the It's a bit the like Roy, Roy Keane in, in, the, in the, say, the game against Holland, which is mm. probably the last time we actually beat a good team in, yeah. in Dublin. Yeah, I, I would say that that's as good a comparison as you could draw. Yeah, but these, you're talking about Keane, Sheffield. These are guys who had already reached the top of their game by the time they played this. If, if you're going in and you're 
one of the Ireland players, you're, you're not go- suddenly going to become a dominant personality, I don't think, on, on a given day, unless you're inspired by all this Henry Shefflin talk. James McCarthy looks a bit like Henry Shefflin. <laughs> I mean, he's he's got similar similar colouring. He's uh, He's got a, a good pair of shoulders on him. And it's often been used against him that his lack of imposing himself or his personality on a game. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, you hear that over and over again about him, that he doesn't, like, whether it's demanding the ball or playing, a, just, just controlling a game from midfield in the way that others do, controlling the tempo or, or, or the pace of it, yeah, or influencing people around him. I'm, I'm never quite sure why that, because that seems to be a communication issue. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's certainly what Trapp always said about him. And I think he has said it about himself, and you see him, you can never judge by interviews, but even as the Irish footballers go, he's quite a quiet guy in interviewees. So, but can you not be a dominant personality without shouting at everybody? Or is that actually part of a midfielder's role? I suppose it depends on your personality, your, your, your self-belief or what you think your role is in the team. Some players go out and absolutely give their all on their own performance. Mm. Others then, just just their, their makeup naturally is, the, well, I can, I can give my all to my own performance. And what's the phrase you use? Just drag everyone along with me as well. Or... Mm. or, or bring them all up to a higher level McCarthy hasn't been that kind of player so no. far certainly not in an Irish team at all he's, ne- he's never I've never watched a game and I can't even think of when was the last time we saw an Irish player give a really commanding performance that really dominated a match Robbie Keane against Gibraltar Richard Dunn in Moscow Richard Dunn in Moscow is probably the last performance I can think of where people after the game spoke about an individual's performance yeah it's been a long time. I think with McCarthy, actually, he is almost being encouraged to be this quiet, sort of uh, demure is not quite the word, a sort of a, a deferential type of player. I mean, he's he's been playing for Roberto Martinez almost his whole career since he left Scotland. Well, his, his entire career since he left Scotland has been with Martinez. And uh, it's a totally different kind of game that he's being asked to play from, say, Roy Keane, who's the last you know great midfield player that we had. I mean, Keane was encouraged, just go and Go wherever you think you need to be on the pitch. If that if that means running into the box, run into the box. You know, if if you need to, it doesn't. He wasn't kind of being required to do what McCarthy is, is, which is I want you always to be there at the base of midfield, distributing the ball. You calmly, quietly, distri- quietly distributing the ball, never getting caught out of position. You know, never. You know, always with the, always with the brain, James. Never with you know, never with whatever else, yeah. uh, whatever else might might well, come into play. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's impossible for him to to kind of uh, to really if he's if he's going to play that way. And it was Trapattoni as well. Trapattoni was like, don't go past the halfway line. Yeah, when he picked him, but it's it's difficult for him, I think, to sort of dominate a game in the same way in that more uh, kind of you know, yeah, without restrained. going, yeah, without going uh, mental on the parallels between different sports or anything like that, but. You did see rugby players last Saturday being asked to do, having been having been asked to play a certain way for four games, then being asked to play a totally different way for a fifth game, throwing the ball around, really challenging themselves, challenging their abilities, challenging their skill set, and it working for them because they're international grade sportsmen. So what what you're saying to James McCarthy maybe on Sunday is right. This is the way we've asked you to play for years. This is the way your your club manager has asked you to play. As a result, that's how Trapattoni asked you to play. Be more than that. Challenge, really challenge yourself to beca- to show something more than what you've shown over the last couple of years for Ireland. If the rugby players can do it, surely James McCarthy can step forward and say, right, I've, I've, I've shown you a certain thing, 
but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna. Sure, I'm sure James McCarthy would be delighted with the with the, oh. the, the rugby boys can do it. Oh, there's nothing. Why can't you? Well, Why can you do it? Those, those, those wholesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, is, is, isn't that a point that you can ask James McCarthy to to play in a different way, in a more uh, commanding way for Ireland than we've seen from him? But I, I think those kind of conversations between. A, co- a manager or a coach and players they're ongoing all the time You're, I remember numerous times being asked to push myself to give more mm. and and sometimes it starts with you're, you're focusing on the things that you're not doing well I said, these, these things have got to improve and then on the other days when you're doing everything seems to go well the manager will call you and go right well how can you build on that what are the things that can get you from the level you're at which we're delighted with to the next level which is where you want to go and which you're good enough to get to so those things go on all the time so I, I don't know. I haven't seen, and I, maybe we're we're certainly wrong to be putting McCarthy in a category alongside Roy Keane in terms of his his ability or his potential to no, control no, a game. That it's more to it's control more a game. Yeah, or it's, to it's more realizing his own potential. I guess. Yeah. Like that, Darren Gibson did an interview with Dion Fanning at the weekend. Uh, there's an interesting line from it here. As a team, essentially, he was, it seems was somewhat similar to. Gibbs, I think he's a slightly more dominant personality, personality than McCarthy, but he still wasn't deemed to be talking enough on the pitch. And he said he went had a look at it, he was out injured. And he says, since then, I've been out for so long, I'm just coming back, I want to try and do everything to stay in the team. I think that's what we need at the minute. We need people to start talking and standing up and taking responsibility. No one's actually told me to do it, but I've come in and tried to be one of the leaders on the pitch. So in Gibson's case, it seems to have taken a serious injury and a time away and a, 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 a chance to reassess what he's all about. Maybe when you're just in the day-to-day thing, it's it's hard to actually... We're talking on behalf of these sort of players, but maybe it's a, you're, you're, in their own head they're like, "Well, I'm, do, I'm doing all I can here." It's interesting mm. you say that because because the same thing happened with Roy Keane actually in his career. I mean, I remember him talking about that. Um, you know, he obviously had a cruciate injury; he was out for what nine mm. months, and talking about how he spent a bit of time looking at old um, videos of matches that he played in, and being kind of disappointed with how ordinary he was in a lot of these games. He thought, "Well, you know, I haven't really." I haven't really done a lot there. I haven't played particularly well. He kind of started looking back with a very critical eye. I mean, you can remember how he, he kind of was was changed after that injury. I mean, he kind of became uh, a, bit, a lot more intense. You know, he kind of lost weight, became more sort of fierce in, you know, everything that he did. Um, I don't know, maybe Gibson's headed down the same path? Yeah. You think? Not necessarily, no. But it, it, does it sometimes take a break from the game to actually reassess... Your your mental approach to it. I had many breaks from the game. <laughs> Unfortunately, this yeah. is a, a, a topic I can talk at length about, and it does change things. I suppose it depends on on your age or where you're at. But there were certainly times when when I was out for a long, long time. Because when you're in the, when you when you're in a team every week, you, you you know you tell yourself your focus is to stay in the team, and you know you hear this phrase often when a manager changes a starting lineup from game to game, and you go, well, you can't change a winning team. Mm. And the, I think behind that, there's this assumption that if a team wins a match, everyone in the pitch has done their job. So therefore, it's, it's, it's just wrong to drop a player after he's been in a team that has won a match. And that's not true. I've played many games in a winning team and not played well. Or, or, or loads of areas of my performance would need improvement. But you come off the pitch, everyone pats himself in the back, They've won the game, the role is still going, you're going to get good headlines, the crowd are happy, you'll play next week. So there isn't always the scope for constant, constantly addressing the areas for improvement because sometimes you can think, well, it's all about results, I'm in the team, I'm scoring or whatever. Mm. So taking a break from things 
brings you away from all of that. Is you can actually sit there and go, right, well, what does actually I do? What could I do better? Or what areas do I need to improve on? Yeah, and it's on? funny. Gibson, more than just the mental approach, Martinez told him, listen, I want you to come to all the games, right? Sit in the stand there and really concentrate. Have a look at what's going on out there and tell me what you think. And he said he'd go back to Martinez after games and they'd have a chat about it. And they had completely different opinions, and but, but not just different opinions. Gibson would even see the matches totally differently to how he had when he was out in the middle of it. It kind of gave him a chance to reappraise things. I thought that was really interesting. I read that interview as well because a lot of managers do it. They they just the injured players are the responsibility of the medical staff until the point at which they're fit enough to train. They're almost banished. They're gone. Yeah. Um, like we had a phrase at Millwall, it was like injured players have no standing at the club. That that was the, the manager's phrase. So and it was designed to try and coax people to carry on playing when they'd maybe a little bit of a knock or to try and demean the people who are injured so you, you try and impose a culture of right, well we're all so tough we'll never get injured we'll yeah. keep playing through whatever but it, I thought it was great because I thought it was really good management because there would be no stage at which Martinez then would have to build bridges then with Gibson when he's back after a lengthy spell and say you know Darren you were always in my plans you know I, I, I always rated you this is an actual practical example of Really good management, I think, mm. keeping him involved. And, and the thing as well about trying to improve his game, I thought that was brilliant. And let's have a chat after the game. Very few managers that I know of would invite kind of feedback or opinions from their players. Is that because they feel that they shouldn't be treating a player as though they're on their level yeah. tactically? I think it? sometimes it's an insecurity thing as well. It's that thing. This player's going to know more than I do. About well, well it. that as well, because yeah. it, in, in football, everyone has an opinion. Everyone thinks that. Y- you can look at any match and, and pick out any footage to support any opinion you have. And and sometimes the managers would, would shut down conversations. Sean Dyche doesn't. He was one manager. When I interviewed him, he said he really encourages him. Really? It drove him mad as a player, being constantly told... He's a former teammate here. Yeah. He, he, we, I mean, we, back in that, we were constantly told, just sit down and shut up. I'm the boss, you're the player. And that's the way it is. Um, and because of being repeatedly like driven mad by that by being handled by managers like that he does the opposite now he constantly invites players to, to, to share their views um, in a pretty open frank way which not many do no I think it's great that's it's, a, it's a bit of, bit of a ballsy decision <laughs> but, and it can go wrong depending on the personalities of who you're dealing with but I think it's great um, I mean you know we've, we've already touched on rugby here and uh, and what can be learned from the shining example of, of Ireland's uh, rugby warriors? That's Murph's, Murph's plan here. Is to they should probably get Paul O'Connell to go in there instead of the game of inches. Or lads, instead of the game that's of what, inches, what, what does uh, rugby? Speech. What does rugby guys do? Right? Yeah. Yeah. What rugby lads do? This is how we win all these Six Nations. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how well that would go down with the no. the Irish golden warriors. Irish lions in yeah. the green. Forget uh, about the any, any given Sunday speech. Just replay the full eighty minutes of Ireland's. <laughs> that's 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 O'Neill's team talk. Yeah, and I don't I, I don't I don't have to say another word. The Ireland players are there, yeah, all there you know, ready ready for the match. Uh, forget the warm up even. Just sit through the entire. Yeah. Ireland entire, rugby match. Yeah, missed the first five minutes of the game against Poland. We'll go out. We'll hammer them five three. I don't. I don't know how how happy uh, the Ireland players are. Not necessarily happy at all. I, don't, I don't. I don't think so. I think you know they. They're sort of like you know we we face different challenges in the in the global globally competitive soccer environment. You know, let's not let's not uh, get bogged down in comparisons between you know which sport is better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the the significant point though about the games on on Saturday, these rugby games, was the way in which everybody had to, because all the teams had to win, and because they were all, in a sense, losing at all times, all of the teams who were involved, all the teams who were playing, they they all had to win. And because they had to win, they 
I mean, I, Shane, I was looking at Shane Horgan talking to you guys on Monday, and he was sort of saying, you know, if you're, if, if you absolutely need to win in this sort of situation, you're kind of pushing it to, so that you're operating very close to the maximum of your skill. You know, you're kind of pushing it right to the sort of limit of what you're capable of. And if you can then handle that, you're going to suddenly have, have a brilliant performance. Um, and it strikes me like a lot of the time with the Ireland team, especially, this is the big problem with all the, with the Trapatoni time. Uh, Stroll they just Stroll. played within themselves all yeah. the time. And the whole, the whole game was based on waiting for the other team to make a mistake. And hopefully they'll make a mistake before you do. All we do is don't make a mistake, play really conservatively, don't sort of push ourselves. Although I think maybe it was the opposite problem in Scotland. We, in actually, Scotland. we were too desperate to win. We we're Not desperate to win, we were too desperate to get involved in we this just, dogfight. I think the problem in Scotland was we just weren't good enough. Mm. You know, we just, we, we did, we did, I think, give it a go in Scotland. We just Unfortunately, we're quite poor in the night. Yeah. Now I'm wondering if I mean Roy Keane. There's a quote from Keane saying, "I'm wary of that must-win stuff." You know, you always want to win every match, which is which is you know whatever. Everybody always says that, but we we do need to win this game. We're fourth in the group now. We've played is it four games? Mm. Uh, we're fourth. We're fourth out of the four competitive teams in the group. If we don't win this game, the home game against one of the teams that are going to be challenging for second and third. We're done in this group. We have to win this game. Is that is that maybe uh, the kind of pressure that can actually produce a defining performance from the team? Do you think, or is it is it a, is it a sort of uh, is it a good thing to have to go out with that mentality? We we've got to win this game. We have no other option. I I'd agree. First of all, I think if we if we were to lose on Sunday, I think you can pretty much forget about us qualifying. By right in saying that, if you assume that Germany yeah. and Scotland, well, if, you, if, if you would add three points to Germany and Scotland this weekend, add three points to Poland. Poland are six points ahead of us. We're not going to go to Poland and win either. We just don't win away. Right. We haven't so, beaten a good team away at home. Yeah. So, right. so in, or, in, in order to, to, yeah. to disagree with, with, with the statement that, you know. Pol- it, Poland, it's in here, three points ahead of us right now. But, you know, if they were to, obviously, there'd be six points ahead if they yeah. were to. So we, we, we'd have to, in order to finish in the top two, we've to either finish above Germany or catch up six points on Poland. Well, you've got your third place for a playoff as well. In this one. Yeah. yeah. I, and, and, and maybe the playoffs this time aren't going to be... You're unlikely to get a team like France, yeah. you know, in the playoffs, given that it's just a bunch of third-place teams. But you have, to, you, you have to win these games at home, surely. Yeah, but the thing about you, you, you're making the point there that if you know you have to win, will that change your performance or will that kind of pressure improve your performance? I, I, so I don't know what the, the, the Irish players' approach will be. I don't know whether they think they absolutely have to win. It's like, you know, when you play a game and in the last 10 or 15 minutes, whatever the scoreline is, you will just increase, things will change because you, the little bit of desperation kicks in. You know that the time is running out. Like the Ireland game in Germany, for example. I, exactly. And, and, and this is a game in the middle of a group at home. There's a few fixtures left. I don't know whether we'll see that absolute desperation or the urgency from for the whole ninety minute performance that w- we would love to see, which would make a great spectacle. God, I, I think we need that. I think if, if we're talking about qualifying, you, you have to win matches mm-hmm. at some stage. Yeah. You know, you have to start. You can't just well, if a draw will just about keep us in it. A draw is useless. Mm. We've we've already lost to one of our key rivals. We have we got that bonus point in Germany. Yeah. A draw against start, Scotland, but, but that's not looking much good now. If we, you only get one yeah. point out of the but, two games. So yes. what do you mean by when you say things like we really go for it at the start? Like like you know, knowing the manager and our players and and. If, if you have an opinion on how we play, like what does that mean from the start? So are, are you being really positive then wings or getting a forward as quick as possible? It's not even so much a, ta- a tactical point. It's just uh, I'd be worried if in our heads 
we felt that in any way a draw was a good result. So mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily have an opinion about how Martin O'Neill tactically sets a team up mm. to to achieve that result. But I'd l- like to think that he that they are talking about this as a must-win game because it is. You, you're not. We're not going to qualify if we don't win this game because it, it'll just show that we're not good enough. If we're not good enough to beat Poland at, at home, we're not good enough to even get a draw against Scotland away. It starts to look really bad. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, I think I think absolutely. I mean, if you know, if, if I wanted just to draw this game uh, and sort of draw the home games and draw the away games or lose the away games, then the only difference between Martin O'Neill and Trapattoni is that he loses the away games. Yeah, you know, that's not. We haven't made any progress. You know it's just I mean? kind of a it's just, it's just a grim. And we're saying this. We don't know what the Roy Keane is obviously being careful enough. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to put himself and Martin O'Neill under pressure by saying, "Yeah, of course, this is a must-win game," and then mm. we draw it. Uh, and then that be presented to him Monday morning. Is. So it's, I, fair, it's fair enough. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'd just be worried if, if in camp they weren't looking at it. I think they're under pressure. Yeah, I think Roy Keane can mint his words or, or maybe hold back. Or I don't know whether maybe he just meant what he said. But I, I think they are under pressure. If they, if we were to lose on Sunday, I know this is a negative approach to this game, but it, it, you know it's possible we could lose a game on Sunday. And if we do, all these questions you just made a comparison there, Ken, with between O'Neill and Trapattoni, that's where all the, the post-match analysis will go. We kind of sit there and go, well, what's changed? What has O'Neill and Keane brought to the table? What makes us think that we're on the right track here? What, you know, where's this all going? I'll tell you one man who probably doesn't think Ireland are on the right track, and that's Polish defender Kamil Glick. Yes. We've <laughs> seen these comments. The little scamp. I privately watched the November game, Scotland against Ireland, and there were so many rough clashes between the players, I sometimes turned my eyes away as it looked terrible. <laughs> this is this is spiky stuff, spiky pre-match stuff. He said, yeah, and, and, and this is what we can expect in Dublin, a real battle. Their fighting style is more brutal than other national teams. Yeah, um, he sounds like a bit of a shrinking violet, uh, Camel uh, Glick. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, the problem with that is that, about that we, well, the, the problem is we haven't uh, certainly over the last ten, twelve years. I think we've gone away from from that. Uh, we, we don't physically impose ourselves. Another no, I'd love not at all. I, I'd love if we were. It as might be the most uh, pint-sized international team yeah. currently trying to qualify for the European Championships. I would. Have I think that's starting to become a little bit patronising when people start saying that because it's. At one point, it was true. You yeah. could point to whatever way you yeah. want to describe you could, the fighting style or the spirit, or that there was something in an Irish team that was was commendable, and you knew they were going to bring it onto a pitch. So you didn't mind hearing it because it was true. When you hear it now, knowing that it's not there, I just think, well, is that another way of just saying they don't think we're any good? That's because, what, oh, that's a hundred percent. Yeah, that because there, like there's no there's no reference here to, to playing ability or or, or, or style or, or technique. Just saying. No, they'll give it their all. And we don't. We don't give performances <laughs> where you say, Christ, those 11 players, that game meant the world to them maybe that by ga- the way yeah. they played. Maybe that game he references, though, and I said it earlier on, that that was one that was a little bit different from most of the international games we played. I mean, you, you couldn't accuse our players of not... There were a few... Um, I mean, we, we, we didn't actually... It was a bit to our detriment, I think, the tackles. We were, we were getting a bit too involved in the... Insane challenges. I must watch that game again. Uh, there, I mean, one I remember those... one. There was a bad foul by Stephen Quinn in the last minute. There were a lot of bad fouls. He got by he us, got by us more than by Scotland. Scotland concentrated on playing a bit of football at times. No, there was there was there was there was a couple of bad fouls with Scotland as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, it was it was just a it was just a game played at a really high pace in front of a big, uh, a very loud crowd. You know what I mean? It was like uh, uh, it was kind of a big occasion game. Yeah. And I wouldn't have thought it was particularly violent considering the circumstances of the game. Um, I don't know. I, it is. I think it is a total cliche about our team. I mean, if you look at our team, there aren't many. 
there are many terrifying players in our team. You know, if you're a Polish player going out and thinking, oh, you know, I don't want to have a 50-50 with this guy. I don't think there's anyone like that in the Ireland team. No. I'm probably talking a little bit too too negatively here. This is a, It is a chance to win a big game at home, but the polls will be in in pretty big numbers. So this should be the kind of... Uh, kind I think of that's great, actually, yeah. that, that, because the, the the players should relish that, shouldn't they? Because there's yeah. not that many games at the Aviva that Ireland play in that that are really great atmospheres, and this one should be. And, and, and if the result goes well, the game against Scotland should be. As You'd well. be very concerned if the players didn't relish this. There would be no reason why they wouldn't. Like you said, it's all it takes all the boxes of a really of a game that you'd really want to be involved in. There'd be a big crowd. There's loads at stake. The cost of it going badly is massive. So does it get them going a bit more? You know, when you when you set when you sense it, 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 there's something about this day. There's, there's there's a big crowd here. There's a bit of noise. I know the cliche is that it's it, it it shouldn't make a difference, but does it just in terms of a player's mindset going out in the field? Does it sh- should it g them up? Yeah, because you, you you don't no matter how you know you use this phrase, we're all professionals. You want to win every game. That's the, the quote you mentioned earlier. It, it matters. There's a difference. There's an enormous difference between a pre-season friendly and an FA Cup final. And there's a, you know there's a, there's a whole spectrum then in, in between, between of yeah. all the games, and they matter. And so things like your motivation or your, maybe your preparation or your concentration, all of those things tie in with it. This is you know this is top shelf stuff. This is brilliant. This is this is a massive game. So you would hope to God it means the world to the players and they give a performance which suggests it does, and that we win. And we're sitting on Monday talking about this brilliant. Martin O'Neill and your, your, your prediction are we going to win I don't I haven't a clue I don't know I, I, I'll go with my heart and say, say we will and McCarthy will give a stomping performance that we've talked <laughs> about for shouting years shouting at everybody just roaring at everyone and we'll say my god the spirit of Shefflin lives on <laughs> the rugby lads have really the spirit of rugby has gotten into these soccer players at last <laughs> oh, the Joe Schmidt <laughs> Joe Schmidt has done yeah. wonders with this you get Ireland to tell team. the soccer players today it was actually all the rugby players yeah, you guys are really Thank inspired by the rugby guys exactly Richie thanks so much cheers lads Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes I'm talking about, Aaron. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. We do seem to be making a couple of assumptions here. Well, one assumption about the Irish soccer player's attitude to the adulation the Irish rugby team enjoys. We seem to be assuming that they are envious of this. But I remember Roy Keane, John O'Shea would often be spotted at Ireland rugby games. Yeah. I don't think envy is the word. I think they sometimes think it's a bit of a double standard. I think they think sometimes they get criticised more harshly for for things going wrong than than the rugby team does. I think sometimes they, they think the rugby team is a bit of an easier ride. I think they I think they get more with traditionally over the years have gotten more uh, stick over off field stuff. Yeah, there seems yeah. That, that's that's, that's is that what it is more that's so definitely than, yeah. an issue that's definitely an issue they would feel that if, if one of them was seen out drinking or a group of them was seen out drinking a week before a game it would be a disaster if the rugby players were it's just seen as the rugby boys bonding over a pint yeah and that traditionally I think there has been an element of that yeah I think I think that's that's the case there certainly it? is in the UK uh, oh, by the way it's not necessarily an Irish thing uh, where the, the where footballers are, are sometimes through their own fault in terms of how, but are portrayed 
in a certain way. Whereas it's hilarious for, say, Andrew Flintoff to be pissed out of his head wandering around down, uh, 10 Downing Street. Yeah, or out in the boat or wherever it was yeah. that he did. Oh, I mean, there is a... Um, I mean, I suppose that when Flintoff did that, I don't know, would they, hadn't they just won the Ashes? They'd won the Ashes, So, yeah. so I mean, if, if England, say, had just come back from winning the European Championships and, you know... They, they, Phil Jones. I don't know. Something about Wayne Rooney. No, something about Wayne Rooney. <laughs> Rooney. <laughs> where he'd say, I don't know, relieve himself in the front of 10 Downing Street. Or yeah, I, 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 I don't think that would uh, play well, actually. No. No. Wayne Ro- if Wayne Rooney went to the bathroom in the garden of 10 Downing Street. One of the this players is what did Flintoff that. did. Did they? Yeah. Did he? Yeah. Right, okay. So, yeah. And that was, that was just a... Uh, huh. Look at how... What a hilarious character. He's... That's the bulldog English spirit of play there. That's yeah. that's our boy there. Yeah, I am not entirely sure. That's how the Daily Mail would see. No, it's, a I think Pearl, terrible incident. Pearl Rooney. It might be different. I'm, I'm trying to think of an England player who who would get away with it. I'm not sure, but I do. I do think that's a thing. I, I'm, it's not like it's the obsession of the Irish uh, football players, but I do think sometimes they look and go, "Oh, look at this." And then you know, given how you can see, for instance, on if you look at Twitter during a game or rugby game or football game and you'll always get someone going oh you know whether from either side whether you're a football fan or a rugby fan going uh, oh this is so boring how does anyone watch this you know for instance the, <laughs> how does anyone watch this boring you know these players are all rubbish you know and then uh, you'll get people suddenly people get worked up over this sort of stuff now i think players are a bit closer to it and have, have often moved beyond that kind of stupid argument but still i think if you if you delve down deeply enough there might be a bit of an attitude of from the from the football guys. Well, look, it's great that the rugby team is so celebrated by you guys and the media, especially in Ireland, seems to really love that rugby team. But at the end of the day, um, we are here in a in a global sport. You know what I'm talking about. The whole world is is competing against us. And while it is true that we're not as highly ranked in world terms as the, for instance, rugby team, you know, uh, the Irish football team has never been as high as third in the world. In fact, its highest ever placing in the world is sixth. Uh, you do have to also consider that the world in these terms is a lot bigger uh, than the eight countries or so which make up the rugby world. Murph, we've another, and uh, the good people of Tonga and Samoa can forgive you for, for that slur there. And of course Fiji. And I'm not forgetting Fiji. And Canada. Argentina. Well, in that Probably case, you know, the, the football, the, the football oh, yeah. world is, is what two hundred and ten countries because we're going to include all those same countries in in. Um, Murph, we've another show ready to go. Please tell people why they need to listen to it right now. Uh, well, I'll tell you why because uh, Seamus Hickey told us what uh, a consoling arm around the shoulder means from Henry Shefflin. It was the best. Uh, was that, uh, I, 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 I certainly found it the most entertaining Henry Shefflin story I've heard this week, and there have been many over the last twenty four hours. But a, a really nice one from Seamus. Yes, Hickey, so yeah, so check that out. And uh, Jerry Tony is in to tell us why rugby will never be the same again after or will the it? events of last Saturday. Or will it? Tune, Tune in, in to find out. Tune in to find out. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Murph. Good, con- you, good continuity announcing. Well, I'm trying my best. Uh, thanks, Ken. Thank you, Arnon. Thank you. Ken. Thanks very much for listening. Go you can Ken. check out secondcaptains.com for any details on, on any of our shows. We'll leave it at that. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 